Amen. Thank you so much. We're honored by your presence and by the difference that a new school year makes. And uh, speaking of transitions, we lived through the week where the, you know, the, a couple things were echoing through my mind. One was the passage that I want to preach on this morning. Uh, the other was from Psalm 16, the boundary lines have fallen for us in, in pleasant places. And then I couldn't get out of my head lyrics to an old Beyonce song where she says, to the left, to the left, everything you own in a box to the left. If you've ever moved, and you just think, like, we've not moved for 20 years. So there are a lot of boxes and trash cans. And I felt sometimes like, you know, the, the ancient legend of Sisyphus rolling the stone up and then the stone rolls back down. Because like, it was like the basement is producing more stuff. The attic is producing more stuff. It was like the, it just was continuing and continuing. And, and uh, you know, more and more trash, more and more things to give away to thrift stores, more and more things to call 1-800-GOT-JUNK because the thrift store said, your stuff isn't good enough for us. We did not realize our furniture was thrift store reject. So much of it. Uh, I hope that comes into fashion again. But uh, So then you call 1-800-GOT-JUNK and you pay someone to take stuff away that you're actually using but don't want to use anymore. It's just like, so at some point I will preach the processing of just the relentless acquiring of stuff and uh, somehow how we can put our guards up uh, against that stuff. And, and for us, a lot of that stuff was given to us, you know, from parents and grandparents and hand-me-downs, and we used it. <laughs> we used it well, and we're thankful for it. So, but we are so thankful to be here in, we're, we're in a less than one-mile location right off Newark Road, so um, we're grateful for that. We don't even want to call it a temporary rental because it's starts to say like, you mean we got to do this again? <laughs> we're, and, uh, uh, and thank you. So many of you volunteered to drive up to Doylestown and help us move. We're, we're going to keep a rain check on that and we're going to cash in when we move again locally here, okay? <laughs> and, and others of you showed up and helped clean and offered, uh, brought produce by and just so many acts of kindness. So you're an awesome congregation. We could not be more excited to be here uh, we could also not be more tired. <laughs> it is it is calisthenics to carry boxes up and down and all of that. But it's a transition. Uh, and I wanted to preach on a text that I think is a, a core value uh, for vibrant churches. And it's on how our transformation, our ongoing transformation, and I know that's a radical word, <laughs> that we would be transformed, is a process that takes place in the community. It's a gospel-driven community process. Uh, and that is why we do smaller groups in church. It's why we do relationships. And the text I want to uh, preach from is Romans chapter 12. I want to break this text apart, but this is the, the pivot to the book of Romans that we're going to see. And it's the first time, so you've got 12 chapters. I know the chapters were added around the ninth century, but you've got all this writing uh, and you're at about the three-fourths part of Romans and Paul has not yet given a single command. Um, he's not yet told us to do anything <laughs> because he is laying a foundation. Um, one time we were walking in New York City and we uh, saw, you know, the guardrails around and there was this massive hole. I mean, it was so, so deep. I could not believe how deep it was. It was as deep a hole as some of the buildings were high. <laughs> uh, and the reason for that was if you're going to build something really high, you need a really strong foundation. <laughs> and so this text begins with the sweeping panorama of, of excavation of grace 
saying that only when you understand the grace of God, only when you understand that God is not your accuser, that God has come to walk alongside you and transform you, can you take these verses in. So um, let's read these verses. These are the very words of God. The most important thing I will ever say to you is always the reading of scripture that we do. So let's read these words and then break them apart. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So first of all, we see this, this word therefore is that there is the pivot to this exhortation from, from Paul. And again, we all need a Paul in our lives who is urging us by the mercies of God, reminding us how merciful and good God is. <laughs> That is a role of a pastor, but I would say it's a role of every believer to be that for someone else, every believer to have somebody else in their life. And so he's, he's bringing into view the mercy of God before he gives us any command. And that's what the first 12 chapters of Romans are all about. Just to show us how desperately we need mercy and how God is ready to bring that mercy about. Because he's about to give us a very radical command. This is the skyscraper command. <laughs> And that is that he wants us to offer our whole lives, and he doesn't just say our spirits or our emotions uh, or our souls, but he says our whole bodies, the, the whole totality of who we are, he says, as a living sacrifice. And this is in view of the mercy of God. So, so the pivot here is, um, how do you come to grips with someone who has given himself completely and utterly for you without giving yourself completely and utterly back to that person. This is a call to, to say, love God back. And it is a call not to attend a worship service, but it's a call to live an entire life as an act of worship. And he, he personifies this as a living sacrifice. He's speaking of our life and the world as that altar. Um, and our persons as that which we release into the hands of God as a sacrifice, as a, as a whole burnt offering. And the order of this is really important. He says, because God has been merciful, now offer a sacrifice. There were sacrifices that were guilt offerings for sin. That's not what he's talking about here. He's saying, because that offering has been made, your life and my life now is designed, if we've received that, to be an offering of gratitude and advancement for the gospel. And he's saying, make your whole self uh, an offering and a living sacrifice. This is, this is a play on words because the very word in, in the Greek for sacrifice means to kill. To sacrifice was to kill something uh, as a substitute before God or as an offering of gratitude. And he says, make your life a living killing. <laughs> 
He says, because of what God did for you, of what Jesus did for you, uh, because of Christ being crucified for you, which is really the first 11 chapters explain the necessity and the power of Christ giving himself for you. He says, now take your hands off your life and release your life into the hands of God. Uh, that's what he's saying here. And it is, it is a pivot that happens only once you've understood grace. In other words, the commands of the Bible are not safe for us to even begin to attempt until we understand what God has done for us. Uh, there's actually, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, um, you're let off the hook here. Uh, in fact, there is never a place in the New Testament that the apostles try to impose moral behavior on a non-believer. You won't find it in the New Testament. You'll never find Jesus concerned about imposing morality on a person who's not yet a believer. Their whole effort was to say, only once you've come to Christ, then live out that gospel. We often reverse the order. We think like, I've got to sacrifice something so that God will love me. That is religion. And when we make Christianity a religion, it is of no greater use than any other religion. But when we understand that the, that the gospel has come into our life and that Christ has offered himself utterly and completely, then our life is a response. Uh, religion says, I'm gonna do something to get God to love me. Uh, and it is one of the greatest deceits in the world that there can be transformation when we're still living according to that framework, that way of thinking, that that, that is religiosity. If I obey, I'll get God to love me. The gospel is God has loved me and now I want to release my life into the hands of a God who, is, who has done everything for me. And so he's saying, in view of the mercies of God, and that's a, a sacrificial word, that, that word of mercy, he says, because Jesus has sacrificed and he is the sacrifice that ends all offerings, all sin offerings. Offer your life in gratitude and praise. And, and so here he's giving this living dynamic of grace. And he's, he's saying, I stand here in view of God's mercy. I'm urging you. And he says, I'm urging you as siblings. Again, I love how Paul's primary reference to other people in the body of Christ, though he was apostle, was, that, was of siblings, of equals, no hierarchy, no rank. We're all under the mercy of God. And he says, I want you to offer your bodies, and I want you to get this because I read this passage for years and never understood this. He says, I want you to offer your bodies plural, but how many sacrifices are there? There's one. And so there's a sense in which he's saying that I cannot be a living sacrifice by myself. That we are called as a community, as we give ourselves to God, that we become one living sacrifice, one offering to God. And so he's saying really to us as a community at CLC, to us as a body of Christians to say, as we all uh, respond to the grace of God and offer ourselves to God that we are, we are offering one blazing sacrifice of gratitude to God as we give ourselves to this. And he's saying that, again, until we've understood, until we've surrendered to the grace of God, we are not safe for obedience. Because what he's calling us to, and this is the second point I wanna draw your attention to, is a living transformation. Um, he's saying in, in verse two, 
He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. There is a dead kind of conformity. I'm not picking on adolescents because this is ancient enough history. Maybe dynamics have changed. Maybe this was Bucks County, not Chester County. I don't know. But I, I will confess to you one time, I went to pick up uh, our teenage daughter from the middle school. And I'll just tell you the background then is there were um, some tense discussions in the morning about what she was going to wear to school. <laughs> um, and I kind of, as a dad, I was seeing it as her desire to express her individuality that we had to restrain with some biblical categories. <laughs> but when I went to pick her up at the, uh, at the school bus, uh, they had had a field trip, I could not recognize which one was her. <laughs> Every single one of them, in the name of expressive individualism, had the same cut of hair, had the same color of shirt and kind of shirt and the same kind of pants and the same kind of backpack and the same kind of walk. I mean, you know, when I got up close, obviously I could see who she was, but I was like, this is a sea of conformity. <laughs> and, and I was thinking about, um, you know, on Star Trek that they have the Borg and the Borg is like, you know, lower your shields, we're coming in. And the Borg um, is coming to uh, absorb into a collective consciousness, right? Uh, I think it was Spock who said, if the Borg assimilated um, Hershey Park, they would not know amusement. <laughs> they, would just, they would just fill it with, you know, the, the staleness. Uh, and um, uh, because no individual exists in the Borg, everybody has just sucked in. <laughs> Uh, and, and like they say, resistance is futile. <laughs> you know, all of this pressure. That's not the kind of conformity this is speaking of. This is speaking of a liberating, um, colorful, um, individual, unique kind of transformation that we're all invited to as individuals and then to offer collectively uh, as a sacrifice to Christ. And it means that we are transformed from the inside out as we encounter scripture on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the giving of Christ. And we say, he gave himself completely for me. Now I'm not gonna run my life according to my own way of thinking. You know, this, this text teaches something very un-American. It says you and I don't have a right to run our life the way we wanna run it. If you're a Christian, if you said yes to the lordship of Jesus Christ, then you said yes to his word reigning over you. And so you no longer conform to the chorus of the world around you, but you are seeking to adjust your life to what Christ has said. Uh, that's a key index as to whether you have understood how radically Christ has given himself to you. And he says as you are transformed from the renewing of your mind, um, then you are able to test and approve what the will of God is for your life. And you walk that out. Uh, in freedom and individuality and diversity. Uh, and uh, this is such a beautiful thing. And it's, it's more than just placing a Christian sticker on your life or your car. I don't know whether you drive well enough that you dare put a CLC family sticker on your car. Um, please only do that if your driving is very sanctified. Um, but but it's, he's not calling us to just to label ourselves in some superficial way. But he's saying from the inside out, rethink everything through the lens of grace in Jesus. I know sometimes there circulate uh, 
I don't know whether they still even have them because Yellow Pages is so gone. Um, but they used to have the Christian Yellow Pages. Remember that? Shepherd's Guides and, and all these. And it used to kind of cringe, you know, because it seemed like sometimes the Christianity of the businesses went just skin deep, you know, just a fish symbol deep. There wasn't really something um, that had transformed from the inside out the whole business. And it was... Um, prior to that, there, there was an address that I didn't know about that was delivered by Francis Schaeffer. And he was delivering this address at the Lausanne Congress on World Evangelism in 1976. Billy Graham brought together all these global leaders of Christianity. And Francis Schaeffer, this great evangelist and thinker, was brought to give a talk. And he was talking to business owners. And he said something very interesting. He said... Um, well, you know, making a profit at what you do and, and running a business is certainly a biblically defined activity. He said that he believed that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be better served by these business leaders who had, were over these businesses um, if these business leaders, instead of giving away money to charity, they simply raised the salary of all of their workers and appreciated them at a higher rate, at a, at a rate that really affirmed their work. Um, and he was referencing a very powerful biblical sentiment that said, uh, we shouldn't try to glean to the edges of our field if you have a field of corn, but you should leave some behind to bless others. And he's saying to business owners, he's saying, if you're really thinking Christianly, then you're thinking not how to squeeze out every dollar of profit, but you're thinking, how can I give a, a great living wage to the people who work for me? And so he said that the gospel would actually be more advanced in the world if those businesses, instead of maybe even tithing their profits to gospel work, were known. And they said, man, you really want to work for a Christian? Because <laughs> when you work for a Christian, your work is going to be Honored, and you were going to be paid uh, at an honorable rate. And, and this is an example of transformation at the larger level. And it means that the transformation that Jesus has, it may make you reckless with some categories that the world says you've got to hold on to. <laughs> your bottom line, you're paying the lowest rate or getting the greatest deal. And he says that this is, a, this is a command to be continually transformed through thinking differently, thinking through the lens of Jesus' grace about every area of life. And he's saying this is for each individual to work out according to the renewal of their minds so that they will be able to work out what is the, the good, pleasing to God and perfect will. It means that if you are a convert to Jesus Christ, if you say, I've received grace and the forgiveness of my sins, that you cannot detach that grace from a response of saying, I want Jesus to be my life Lord coach. Not just a life coach who's a peer, but a life Lord coach who is, who is advising us. And this has to happen in the whole context of a gracious friendship. I love what he says in verse three. 
And again, this is Paul as coach. He says that, you know, brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm bringing you into view of the grace of God. But look, look what he says here. I think this is a great verse for Christian relationships in the body of Christ. He says, I want to speak by the grace of God given to me. This is a Christian friend. <laughs> we need Christian friends in our lives who say, I, I am praying, I am seeking to be filled with grace, and I want to speak only out of, out of grace. And Paul is a grace reminder that's what rings out of his letters, but, the, but it very personally is saying, I'm saying to every one of you what I've been given by the grace of God. And he is coming alongside them as a, as a friend. And you know, when grace comes and grace is in the atmosphere, our, our defenses get lowered. When, when grace comes into the atmosphere, um, there's in a sense the, the shoulds and the shames recede and the example of all in Romans 12 all these one another commands the encourage one another uh, in grace the show hospitality to one another the being generous to one another the forgiving one another what's really interesting in those one another commands are the things that are never said in the Bible that we're to do to one another the Bible never commands us to sanctify one another I, I, we are not each other's sanctifier. <laughs> the Bible never calls us uh, to be the person that points out what's wrong with one another. <laughs> it's not a biblical category. Uh, the Bible never calls us to humble one another. It calls us to humble ourselves. It doesn't call me to humble another person. The Bible never tells me to scrutinize another person or pressure another person or corner another person or embarrass another person or interrupt another person, or defeat another person, or shame, or marginalize, or exclude. The Bible forbids me from all of those things. The Bible never commands me to run another person's life, or to confess another person's sins. But the Bible does, in, does call me to speak of the grace of God that is in me. And when we ha cultivate an atmosphere like this, the most treasured friends we have are the friends that we know we can process life with in an unguarded way. Um, in a good marriage, this should be the soil and context. I'm thankful that th this is true. When I have walks and conversations with Liz, sometimes I'm somewhat surprised at myself and saying, wow, I'm actually surprised I let her in on this. Of course, she already knew it right? <laughs> but I, and, and it's that way with a good friend. You have this conversation and you're like, I'm processing unguarded. I'm not trying to keep hold of a certain image. Uh, if it's a close friend, they may already know that's a facade. <laughs> but I am just relaxed in this presence. And, and here's what happens in a good friendship. You find out things about yourself that you did not even know, <laughs> Right? You have friends like that? Isn't that, that how the closest friendship happens? You process life and you find out things about yourself that you would not even have known about yourself. It's that self-discovery. And so when Paul says, I don't want you to think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to think of yourself as you really are, he's bringing that kind of reflective friendship into the culture of the church as an apostle to a congregation, and he's saying, this is the vibe and the dynamic, that this is a place where you can be honestly known without any sense of fear. 
And this is the place where change happens. And so if we are individual offerings making one living sacrifice in community, if we have our Paul speaking to us in view of the mercies of God, this is what makes CLC a place safe for change. Those littler communities um, where we are able to experience this kind of both affirmation and challenge. Uh, this both of saying, I am with you in whatever you are struggling with. You cannot name a sin or struggle that will alienate me because it is not alienated the grace of God. <laughs> he actually has moved toward us in that. But you also can, can say, and I am here also to encourage you to not be conformed to the pull of the world in this. It, it's, it's such a beautiful one-two punch in combination. And it means that in, in the gospel, there is no command that is meant to degrade or shame or even depress us with how hard it is. I'll, I'll give you a command that I think often produces, or a, a statement of Jesus that if you're really honest, you're probably not looking forward to this day. In, in Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says, I tell you that on the day of judgment, um, everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every idle word they have spoken. Now, how many of you are looking forward to that day for yourself? Man, as a preacher who traffics in words, I am not looking forward to that day. Every idle word. I'm also thinking that is gonna be a long judgment day. It, it sounds like a really tedious and shameful and embarrassing process in which we will be cornered. And Romans 2 verse 16 talks about, he says, this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Are you looking forward to the day when all the secrets are brought out? Well, we often process that and think of shame, hiding, being exposed and cornered. And it was psychologist Kurt Thompson, who is a very insightful Christian, who who framed these words in this way. He said, what if on that day, what Jesus is doing, when he brings out the things that we have said um, that we would be ashamed of, is actually saying, hey, what was going on with you when you criticized this person in front of this other person in order to make yourself look better? <laughs> what was going on with you when you made that statement out of envy? And he basically is He's pushing us into, you know, it's like, oh, I was going to say it was a slip of the tongue. <laughs> but Jesus is saying, no, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. There was something going on in your heart. There was some need that you felt to look better than this person. And so you ran them down. And, and so I'm drawing that out, not to corner you and condemn you, but I want to draw that errant thought that you've got to justify yourself in the presence of me or other people by some kind of performance of one-upmanship. And I'm drawing you out to kind of point out, to pull out the, the fullness of that poison, <laughs> not to shame you, but to free you of ever thinking that you've got to be on your own quest for personal achievement. Uh, when you think about Jesus doing surgery on us in that way, he's digging the scalpel in, and I think he uses a wonderful anesthesia <laughs> called the gospel of grace, but he's digging the scalpel in because he's, he wants to take the whole tumor out. He doesn't want to just take out the words that people could see, but he wants to say, the reason you spoke that way <laughs> is because you were processing life this way. <laughs> and so you said these things and, and 
By extension, you could say, you did these things, you lived this way because you were living according to a different score and music and director, and I wanna lift you into a new narrative. Do you see how that's, it's so different than I want, then all of a sudden what I wanna say to Jesus is Jesus excavate my words and show me where my heart is going astray so that I can be set free. It, it, it makes me, instead of saying, I don't want that to happen, I don't wanna be exposed, thank you very much, Jesus, um, don't do a review of my life to saying, Lord, I, I want you to expose what is wrong. You know, it's, it, it's, it's a kind of, of rational approach that we say, yeah, um, do you want that mole looked at by the dermatologist? It's not really pleasant. It's not as bad as going to the dentist if you've got to be drilled, but it's like, I don't, but, but no, but do you want that mole to become cancerous? Do you, want it, do you want it to be extracted so that you can have life indeed? That's what Jesus is, is saying about transformation. And, and so for the, the community of the church to be that project, that process, it, it requires this kind of gracious atmosphere. It, it requires this kind of, of understanding that um, God is not asking us to do something to secure our relationship with him, but God is saying on the other side of my attaching myself to you in grace, I am going to do a complete transformation of you that will become increasingly apparent to those who know you. I don't know how long ago it was for you when you became Christians, but there should be a ongoing life of transformation that if, if the person that you are, let's say most everybody in this room thinks they're gonna be alive three years from now, probably. If the person that you're going to be three years from now encountered the person that you are now, what would they be surprised about? What would they be shocked by? Um, you can look backward and say, what would the person 10 years ago be shocked by who I've become in Jesus now? I hope that the person I was and even the preacher and pastor I was 10 years ago would get into severe arguments with the person and the pastor I am now. Because, and, I, and my hope is that, that because Jesus would be filling and informing and changing and bringing that about. Uh, that that is, that's the journey of the Christian life it is this journey into continual transformational change from the inside out. Uh, that there is no dark corner of our life where the Lord doesn't say, I want to reach into that. I want to sh show you, as the one who's hiding in that dark corner, what that dark corner is about so that we can banish all the darkness and this, so that you can be a person filled uh, with light. And the way it happens is, again, when you take your hands off your life and you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, as the only reasonable thing to do. Paul says, this is your reasonable, he uses the word logical. <laughs> this is your logical liturgy. He uses the word liturgy for worship, latrean, um, the word we get, the kind of this rule for life. And he says, your reasonable liturgy of life is to continue to offer yourself in every relationship, every conversation, uh, every transition of life to offer yourself as an expression of grateful worship to the God who has done this for you. And you think of what does it mean to offer yourself as a sacrifice? The God we serve offered himself up as the perfect sacrifice. When Jesus offered his life as a sacrifice to God, 
in a sense, he fell into the sea of God's judgment as a substitute for us. But now, because of what he did, when you and I take the hand, our hands off of running our own life, our own way, we don't fall into judgment. We don't fall into the wrath or nothingness. Uh, we take our hands off of our life, and you know whose hands we fall into? We, hand, we fall into the hands of this God. And there is no better life that we can live. I'm so convinced of this, that the good life, please hear this, young people, <laughs> the good life, the best life that you could possibly live with all your years in front of you is a life where you take your hands off and say, I want to give control over to Jesus. I have never heard a person regret having given their life to Jesus. <laughs> I've heard people regret giving their life to religion or religious people or religious systems, but not offering their life to Jesus and letting him transform it. Because when you do that, you are offering your life to the, the one safe place. The one who you can completely and unconditionally offer your life to is Jesus. Uh, I think of the words of Jonathan when he was speaking to David, and Jonathan was David's armor bearer, and there was a battle. The Philistine army was regular marauding and, and doing acts of violence in the borders of Israel, and David's job was to protect the people. And, and this is in 1 Samuel 14. Jonathan comes to David, and he says to him, he says, um, I am with you with all my heart and I will support you in doing everything that is in your heart. Amazing statement by Jonathan. And that statement strikes me. There is virtually no one on this planet that I think you or I should share that absolutely unfiltered surrender to. Um, we always have to put a caveat in there. Uh, even, even wedding vows are in the Lord. You give yourself to another person. But there's no one, there's no other human being that's safe to say completely whatever you desire, I am with you. In fact, human to human friendship, right? A true friend is like faithful or the, the rebukes of a friend. When a friend has to say, ah, I don't think this is right. But David was standing, I think, as a type of Christ to come uh, and Jonathan as one who was the friend of the bridegroom of our souls. And so he was saying, do everything that you wish. I am with you heart and soul is what he says. And I want to say that because of who Jesus is, I want to encourage us, say that to him even today. Say, Lord, do whatever you wish with my life with the remainder of my life, as long as it's going to be, make my life one of the, I am with you, heart and soul, that you were calling the shots, that you were transforming, you were intercepting, changing, redeeming, because, and you know why we know Jesus is safe, he's the only one who asked for that, who actually already went the whole distance for us. He's the only one that has already proven that for us. And so we can offer ourselves in this, this living, ongoing sacrifice in community with others who are in that gracious community to say, we're in this together. We're in this together. 
individual sacrifices, individual lives offered, but one burning sacrifice of gratitude to God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this invitation and the invitational life of Jesus. We thank you that all of this is in view of your incredible mercy and grace because you are so radically for us. And we pray for the grace to take our own hands off our own lives and to fall into your hands. We thank you, Lord, that you are the only real master who won't consume us, but rather as we give our lives to you, you give us life, your life. And so enable us, God, enable us in this season to offer ourselves in this way and make our community places of deep friendships, of small groups and pockets of friendship where we are living out what it means to live on the other side of grace as those who are offering our lives anew and afresh to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Stand and sing with us.
Indeed, praise forever to the King of Kings. We enter this place to worship corporately for an hour, but we exit this place to continue that worship service in the continual offering of our lives, the renewing and transformed life that Christ has called us to. So I invite you to lift up your hearts to this incredible encouraging promise in 1 Thessalonians 5 that I wanna pronounce over you. It says, now may the God of peace sanctify you, make you like Jesus through and through, body, soul, and spirit, may he do this. Faithful is the one who calls you, and he will bring it to pass through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.